I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Just as there was a glimmer of hope that life might be returning to normal after a year and a half of global pain and upheaval, Britain seems to be on the brink of yet another crisis. Petrol stations closing, pumps running dry and motorists queuing to fill up. There's no shortage of fuel, just the tanker drivers to deliver it to service stations. Panic buying is making all of this worse and behind it all, a shortage of truck drivers and COVID-era supply chain problems there as well. The army have been called in to deliver fuel as fights have been breaking out in petrol stations. And I I would just really urge everybody to just go about their business in the in the normal way and and fill up in the normal way when you when you really need it. It's being called a perfect storm. Rocketing gas prices and a shortage of lorry drivers have combined to cause a devastating ripple of chaos for businesses and families across the country. I've heard it described as whack-a-mole. You know, once they've done one thing, then something else unexpected comes in. How much of this crisis could have been avoided? And how bad could it get? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Britain's supply chain crisis. A new winter of discontent. The country, already suffering from a particularly savage winter, now faced paralysis. 80% of the nation's goods were transported by road, and the country faced the very real prospect of food shortages. Bare supermarket shelves, dwindling power supplies, chronic shortages of even the most basic necessities, and a government under pressure as a worried nation braces itself for the worst. Sound familiar? For many watching the current crisis unfold, there are alarming parallels to what became known as the winter of discontent from 1978 till 1979. Back then, the trade unions were at war with the Labour government of Jim Callaghan and strike action was grinding the economy to a halt. Today, the dustmen turned pickets, making sure no council lorries were used to clear the rubbish. Only members of the public were allowed across the picket line to get rid of their rubbish before the sacks outside their homes became health hazards. The strikers shut cemeteries as well. The council stopped taking bookings for burials last week as the gravediggers came out. Now undertakers are being forced to embalm or freeze corpses in local mortuaries. The NHS was hit, with operations being cancelled. A nationwide dustman strike left vast, stinking heaps of rubbish building up on the streets. 
even the gravediggers walked out, leaving dead bodies unburied. We are going into winter. It feels very hard and we've got chaos and queues. Ashley Armstrong is the Times retail editor who's been leading our coverage of the supply chain crisis. For her, the parallels with the 1970s are clear. The differences is when the... Um, in 1979, in that winter of discontent, well, it had been a Labour government. This was marked the end of that and, and the start of the Thatcher era. But the main thing was the striking over pay and asking for huge pay increases at that time that was being denied. So we had a lot of striking and a lot of public discontent and services running aground. You had food waste piling up. It got to bodies not even being buried. It was a grim time and... We're not a million miles away from it, are we? The system is falling over in, in various different areas and it feels like we're patching it up kind of as we go. I think there'll be pockets of intense pain. <laughs> We've had councils already not picking up rubbish. It depends if there are strikes. The difference with the 1979, of course, was that they didn't have a pandemic. We've been living with this virus for 18 months and all the pain and change and suffering that has gone on with that. We have a sort of collective repression now of how awful it was in those times because it's very much the carry-on mentality, right? We're all getting back to work, we're all taking the trains again, we're all going out, and yet life isn't quite the same as it was before, especially, you know, those national services that have been really struggling and really under pressure and... During the pandemic, we celebrated those key workers, right? It was described as the front line, and they are essential jobs. They hold the economy together. You know, office workers, we might think that we do an important role, but actually we rely on these people for everything to tick. And much like in that winter of discontent, it's those people who will start saying enough's enough. And I think you're already starting to see that, right? That's why HGV drivers have picked a different life, because it's too hard. Ashley, you've been all over the front pages um, in the last few weeks. You're guiding us through what seems to be an almost unprecedented crisis. How chaotic has it been for you? Well, actually, I kind of collapsed on the sofa last night and said to my husband, it feels a bit like March 2020 in, in that kind of way, because I'm writing about things that people obviously really care about. And the thing that I love about retail is that it's always tangible. Everybody has got an opinion on it. But right now, it has got scary. And I think like in March 2020, when we were starting, you know, the pandemic was breaking and supermarkets started introducing limits and you had this Russian toilet roll and it felt crazy, didn't it? It feels that kind of crazy again. And I mean, it's sort of that delicate line of you don't want to fan the flames. But of course, when we're living in this age of social media, people are already tweeting out their pictures of empty supermarket shelves and without context. And so, you know, that has been one of the major things of why have we got to this place? What's going on? You're, you're reporting on this, but I mean, have you personally, in normal life, have you come across some of these shortages? I think probably we all have a little bit in, in terms of, you know, you go to the store and you're noticing the gaps on, on the shelves. I live in South East London, so 
you know, I've got the mix of the big superstores and the convenience stores, and you're seeing it across in, in lots of ways from your local deli saying, oh, no, sorry, we haven't been able to get that in, or our supplier doesn't have that to your co-op kind of bless them frantically trying to kind of replenish shelves. It feels like when you walk into a supermarket, they are all under so much pressure. That can't be a lot of fun. We have a car and I actually said to my husband, how much, um, just out of interest, how much fuel do we have? <laughs> and, um, and we don't have a lot. So I told him that he had to walk this weekend. <laughs> this, the response to the government's call to carry on as normal. Queue upon queue of cars. The same scene up and down the country. And actually my parents, they drove up yesterday because I was working and so I needed help looking after my daughter and they live in East Sussex. And I had to check with my dad that he had enough fuel to make the journey up. And on the way there, they were saying that petrol had jumped from, and I put this on Twitter and loads of people commented as well, it jumped from something like 135p per litre to 149 and other people were saying around the country it's gone up to 165. And so, you know, you're really seeing that ripple effect. And, and the queues as a result, yeah. And the queues, exactly. It, it, less than, it took them almost double the time to get to ours and back because of the queues. Is it changing your behaviour? I mean, apart from making your husband walk. I have been trying not to be spooked by it. I think because I am so aware of the impact on panic buying and that actually is a dangerous thing to be doing, but... I was meant to be having dinner with friends, actually, I should say, when the carbon dioxide story was breaking. And I spent most of the time outside, kind of on the phone and uh, <laughs> and typing a story. And I kind of came back in and I said, I know that everybody eats a lot of chicken for their kids, so maybe you might want to think about doing an order tonight. And yeah, yeah it has felt a bit a bit scary. I think when you hear that other people are getting very worried about it, you can't help but feel a bit worried yourself. Just paint a picture of what's happening across the country. How bad have things got? I think things haven't got as bad as they might have got had the government not intervened. So if we go back a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were hearing there was this fertiliser plant, two fertiliser plants shut down because of the soaring gas prices, CF Fertilisers, which is owned by this American company. Farms in the British countryside hit along with manufacturers of soft drinks and bread by the action of an American company. At CF Industries, we've always answered the call for progress helping farmers increase the bounty of the land. Instead, in the face of rocketing gas prices, it stopped production at its UK fertiliser plants. They produce 60% of the UK's carbon dioxide requirements. And the fertiliser plant shutdown was initially reported as though it was wholly separate to anything to do with carbon dioxide and the food supply chain. And I remember on Friday morning having this call from one of my sources saying, this has happened and it is mega. And at first, you know, because I am not a fertiliser plant or gas reporter. (laughs) No. And so I, I tell you, my science teacher would have been very proud of me for even kind of remembering what CO2 was. But it, it just escalated very, very quickly. And she heard of the massive impact that it had for the food supply chain in terms of the slaughter of animals. Carbon dioxide is used as the most humane way to stun pigs and chickens before their death. And it's used in food packaging to preserve 
ham and cheese and it's used to make crumpets and it's used to make beer and so it's all these things that's completely hidden and you didn't realize and that came at a time when the food industry had already been warning that it was creaking at the seams because of this labor shortage they're suffering from in their factory lines and production lines and their lack of butchers and the hgv crisis lorry driver crisis so it really did combine to be this perfect storm i hadn't and, even realized um, crumpets were, it, were at risk i mean that, that crumpets, really is a very yes, english absolutely. crisis i know it's true it's you know we you just don't think about all these things that it impacts you know they were saying we will run out within two weeks and millions of chicken is consumed by brits every week every day it's you know one of the most popular bits of food that we eat and they were warning that, yeah, that it wouldn't just be Christmas. It, wouldn't, it would be kind of a week. Most of them only had four days' supply left. Luckily, I think because there was so much attention on it, the government did step in with this agreement to subsidise the CF fertiliser plants for three weeks. Tonight, the state has cut a deal. It's understood that government support will kick-start production at CF Industries immediately. And in the meantime, kind of negotiations go on with the food industry. And then as you had that, you had this HGV lorry driver crisis that has been bubbling under the surface for a while, suddenly impacting the fuel market. And you're, you're sort of in a, a unique position because you're seeing the whole of industry and how it's sort of coping. And you're talking to people, you know, within trade organisations and food production companies. What are you hearing from them at the moment? I mean, how spooked are they? I think that the government's intervention on carbon dioxide eased the pressure, but they are so stressed. So Ranjit Baparin, who is known as the Chicken King because he is the UK's biggest manufacturer or processor of chicken and turkey, and he said, he warned actually even before the carbon dioxide issue that we were facing the worst food shortages since the war. I've heard it described as whack-a-mole, you know, once they've done one thing, then something else unexpected comes in. And, you know, one very senior source had described the carbon dioxide as a black swan event, which is something that was unforeseen, could never have been predicted and has untold consequences usually all negative. I've had others describe it as something like going from the the dungeon of doom into the pit of spiders <laughs> in terms of the, the, yeah, in terms of the kind of, you know, constant stress of dealing with something else that has huge impact on them. I think there's that sense that government is only intervening when it feels like everything is just about mm. to fall over. It's really hard to manage a business when you have no idea what's going on and you think, right, well, we've got potentially two days until the lights go out or the government might intervene and it will be OK. But that's not something that you can necessarily control. And even with the government intervening over the CO2 crisis, with what's left at the moment, I mean, what are people saying? Are they still afraid of shortages to come? It's a bit like a sticking plaster because they, the government has intervened and said it will do it for three weeks. It's relying on the industry to swallow this five-fold price increase for the cost of carbon dioxide, which still might not solve the problem because sources say that it needs to actually be 10 times more expensive for the fertiliser plant to make a profit. What might happen is that in you know two week's time, producers might still be running out. And while they've been told, yes, 
prioritise CF fertilisers because we need to get them loads of supply because then you get purchasing power and it's more economical for them. They're also trying to get a load of supply from Europe and Europe has its own issues. So we're, we're not fixed. And the government's introduction of visas for meat processing workers and HGV drivers has been described as a drop in the ocean. The 5,000 meat processing workers was described to me as like a Christmas killing squad, which is basically because in the run-up to Christmas, you have a huge peak demand, right, for turkeys. And there's a strange dispensation in in those festive times when you can kill animals on farm. Normally, you have to send them to the slaughterhouses. But basically, these extra workers are just going to be turkey killers. That doesn't fix the structural issues of the huge amounts of vacancies that the meat processing industry has on butchers, on production lines. You know, these are trained, skilled people and they're not there and they're not coming back. The shortage of trained people is really starting to hit industry, not least when it comes to the shortage of lorry drivers. How much of this crisis could have been avoided and what impact is Brexit having? We'll have more in just a moment, but first. Hi, my name is Larissa Brown and I am the Defence Editor at The Times. I often tell people this is the best job in the world because you get to see people do the most extraordinary things on behalf of our nation. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers at The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. In 2004, Andrew Malkinson went to jail for life after a mother of two was raped by a motorway in Greater Manchester. But was it a miscarriage of justice? I couldn't find a way to demonstrate I was telling the truth and it just got worse and worse. 17 Years, The Andrew Malkinson Story. A new series on the Stories of Our Times podcast with me, Emily Dugan, a reporter at The Sunday Times. Listen on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. 5 years younger. In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One of the main sort of issues that, that has led to this crisis does seem to be the shortage in HGV drivers. How short are we of, of lorry drivers and, and why? We're very short, 100,000 short. There's 600,000 registered HGV licences out there and 300,000 have left in recent times. And I've tried to pin this down, but that could be between, you know, a couple of years, let's say. The average age of a driver is 55. A lot of them have retired. A lot of them have retired because the industry introduced this CPC certificate which requires them to do, I think it's five days of classroom testing. And these are people who've been driving for 30 years. They find it patronising to have to sit in a classroom for five days to be told what to do. There's Brexit, which can't be ignored, can't be overinflated either, because between 16,000 and 20,000 foreign workers left in the past year who were drivers and a lot of them have not wanted to do it anymore because it is a hard life it's long hours and the conditions aren't great good morning world it's uh, almost quarter to four quick cup of tea and then one way to ashford and the train to uh, calais for jimmy once he crosses the channel driving an hgv is a different ball game go to holland you turn up at a company, the first words you hear are, you want a coffee? You are treated as a human being. They appreciate you are a driver, you are a professional, you're doing a job for them. The conditions are better in Europe. Our roadside facilities are dreadful. You know, there's often not enough parking spots, so they have to sleep in lay-bys and there, there aren't enough toilets. And that sounds like a lot, but, you know, for a trucker, it's quite grueling and when you're talking of quality of life issues it's not an attractive profession to go into in the pandemic last year all the driving test centers were shut down 40,000 driving tests were cancelled for HGV drivers and while they're accelerating that now uh, that is still a huge backlog one thing I had no idea of but it costs around five grand to qualify as an HGV driver with all the tests that you have to do and it takes six to nine months that's not a lot of people that are in that position. And particularly when, you know, the government is saying we'll bring people over from Europe again. Those people need to have a place to stay and to afford the plane ticket and to be able to kind of have that ready-made qualification already. It's really a perfect storm of lots of different issues that have all come to a head at one point. What are the others? I mean, you mentioned, for example, there's a shortage of people to pick food or to process food as well. What are the main factors that have led to this? On the food picking side of things, and particularly when it comes to summer fruits, that really is a Brexit-related issue because a lot of those workers were European um, and a lot have left since the UK exited Europe. And a lot of people who were here, then when the pandemic struck, 
they returned home and they haven't come back and there's no incentive for them to come back. And the same on the factory production lines as well. It's also something that our education system doesn't really prioritise. Lack of vocational training is something that we're not particularly good at still. And because there had been this reliance on uh, labour from overseas that had just plugged the gap, and you can argue whether it undercut uh, UK workers and made it less attractive or um, less lucrative for British workers to do. But, you know, a few years ago that there was the boss of Green Corps, which is the UK's biggest sandwich maker, who just said, Brits don't want to make sandwiches. You know, they don't want to work on a production line. And there must be something in that. And at the same time, we're also sort of faced with a gas and energy crisis. How much has that contributed to where we are? That's the direct cause of the carbon dioxide shortage, because the only reason that uh, CF fertilisers shut down in the first place was because of the soaring gas prices. It made it uneconomical to run. You never want to shut down, but you will if you're not going to make any money. We're seeing inflation on absolutely everything. And the boss of Unilever had described it recently as saying, you know, normally you get inflation on a couple of things, right? You might get currency inflation from foreign exchange or you might see it in timber. Instead, because the global pandemic and the shipping containers got stuck at the ports in Asia, the whole supply chain is in a mess. And so you have the shipping containers that are stranded just at sea because they can't get into the ports because they're still clogged up and the ports have shut down and they're still shutting down in China and Vietnam because of local coronavirus outbreaks. Then you had the other unprecedented, unexplained, unforeseen black swan of the Suez Canal blockage. This is why the stakes are so high. A maritime traffic jam with a massive price tag. 12% of global trade uses this route, nearly £300 million worth every single hour. And as a result, the cost it takes to ship a container from China to the UK has gone up 12-fold. So it used to be something like two grand, and now it's 20 grand. And a lot, a lot of things get shipped. You know, everything from microchips to toys to clothes, packaging, everything, because it was the most economical way to do it. And so that's filtering into things like timber, to packaging, and then you're seeing it also on the raw materials of palm oil, and you're seeing it on sugar, on dairy. These are all ingredients that are used in everything. Did this come out of nowhere? Did it sneak up on us? Or were there warning signs? Should we have known it was coming? The carbon dioxide absolutely snuck up on us. But the shortages of labour, well, the die was cast sort of when the UK voted for Brexit. There was always going to be that problem. And you had that being dismissed as project fear. I think a lot of time was wasted dismissing that as scare tactics when actually, of course, a lot of it is bearing out. And it's not a question of whether we should have remained or left, you know, we're in the situation that we're in. But nothing was done to fix it because those three years could have been used as training, kind of identifying in schools and things like that. Well, maybe we should put more people into this. Maybe we should be prioritising drivers and spotting those labour shortfalls. It's always very easy to say this with hindsight, isn't it, of course. But the pandemic, (laughs) some very, very clever people have said that we were G1 and that was the biggest risk to the world economy. But I don't think anybody really expected one to happen. And of course, none of us expected it to go on for quite so long either. It would be funny if it wasn't so scary. 
so many things piled on at once. So Brexit, COVID, you know, global pandemic that shut everything down. Has part of the problem been it's almost become political to talk about the effect Brexit might have had? So even now, a lot of politicians are busy denying it, that we're not having a, a serious conversation about what to do about about the shortages. And we've sort of got these sticking plaster answers of allowing visas for a certain number of people for a certain number of months. Has, has that contributed? Yeah, I think so. And it's a really sort of sensitive one. And even, you know, on basically every article that I've written about shortages, there's like a war going on in the comments of people saying it's Brexit or saying it's not Brexit. I really do think Conservatives should take some responsibility because it is entirely inflicted by their obsession with Brexit. To say that this is just an issue of Brexit is completely untrue. What it is about, Mr Speaker, is coronavirus. One estimate says 90,000 lorry drivers are needed. The UK's Road Haulage Association asked its members why. 58% said Brexit. And, you know, sometimes it is a bit of Brexit, you know, it's just a bit nuanced. But people people are so inflamed because it was a very emotional moment for the country. Just take the HGV driver concessions that have been made on allowing drivers to come in from Europe. Well, right up until kind of the afternoon before that was sort of announced, it was still unclear about whether that was really going to happen and whether Priti Patel would allow that to happen because it was so kind of... A concession on immigration, wasn't it? And they had to make this concession. And I mean, it, it's been a very small concession as well, hasn't it? 5,000, you need minimum 15,000 probably to solve this. It's once again, it's a bit like tossing crumbs out. I mean, how bad are things looking now? You know, are we facing the worst shortages since the war as one of your your sources said i mean is christmas cancelled as a journalist you know when somebody says christmas is cancelled you think great that's the story but people will still celebrate christmas let's face it people might just not have the toys that they wanted to get for their darlings they might have to buy it a bit earlier they might not be able to get the turkeys that they want they might have to have a crown or a frozen bird instead or shock horror a different meat entirely i think that and this is possibly too optimistic but i think particularly given last year christmas was was cancelled and it was cancelled very short term you know and we all had the idea of that it was going to be a huge reunion with friends and family who we hadn't seen for a long time we've got the trauma of that i think so long as we can see people I think that we'll all be okay. <laughs> and I think that actually, as grave as it is with the supply chains, there will still be food on the shelves in some form. We've heard about sort of a few very short-term answers. You know, we know the government is propping up the CO2, for example, for three weeks. We're not sure what happens after that. We, we know they're issuing visas to 5,000 drivers. We're not sure if that's enough or if that'll solve the problem, but hopefully it'll help. In the meantime, there's also talk of calling in the army. Tell us about that. Yeah, it never fills you with confidence, does it, really? At the moment, what is being discussed is either that they come in to drive HGV tankers, particularly of fuel, and that's what they're on standby for. I still am not entirely sure how many trained army drivers there are for HTV lorries. I don't 
believe that there's 10,000. What we'll probably see is them prioritising the must-haves, so the things to keep our country going, like fuel and food. And toys might have to just have a bit of a backseat. What are the longer-term changes that need to, to take place? I mean, clearly something in the system is broken. There are structural problems. In order to make sure we're not in the same position next year, what does the government really need to do now? There needs to be more training and encouragement for people to go into the industry of both food manufacturing, food supply chains, logistics. That, as a sector, needs to be more critically important and more valued. It is a horribly political issue because kind of veers into nationalisation, privatisation arguments, but it's something that is a structural challenge. But I think also we need to be working on our freedom of movement, which is obviously something that we voted to not have anymore. It's a tricky one, and I have to say I don't have the answer. To be honest, I wouldn't like to be in charge of running the country or a supply chain or a retailer right now. I'm perfectly happy writing about it and having enough distance for me to be responsible about it. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Ashley Armstrong, retail editor at The Times. You can follow all of Ashley's coverage of the supply chain crisis at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer today was Chris Wade. The executive producer was Asia Fuchs and sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, are you suffering shortages? Let us know. Send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. I'll be back tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.